It's great to be back, and I really was excited that I could, could come back to this amazing church. So thank you for having me back. Um, I have some books here. They're not for sale. You can leave a donation if you want uh, for a book. This one talks about how God first led me to Amsterdam where I met my wife Jody. Our two sons were raised just outside of the red light district. The first chapter is about when we were touring in Siberia and uh, people were spitting all over me, touring with my band, I should say, and we were playing after a band that was trying to get everyone to commit suicide. That was their message. And uh, while we were playing, people were spitting all over me, and there was like a shower of spit. And uh, if you want to know what happened, you have to get the book. And this is Revolutionary 10 Principles That Will Empower Christian Artists to Change the World. Again, this is not about like how to play your guitar better, but it's what if you, for every hour you spent playing your guitar, you spent another hour seeking God? Can you imagine? The problem with most bands today is they spend too much time practicing and not enough time seeking Jesus. Because when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, it gives you an advantage over anyone else. And we have seen God do amazing, miraculous things. I just came from a tour with my band in Mexico during the Day of Dead celebrations. We saw hundreds of people come to Jesus. I mean, you can go, on, you can go online and see the videos of it. We were in Colombia. Again, same thing. Brazil, we went... Viral, we were interviewed on Rolling Stone magazine where we could talk about Jesus clearly on the front cover. Uh, this is Jesus in the secular world. This is written by my son, Ben. It's on Right Now. You can get this book or you can see a video series of it for free on Right Now Media. Like I said, none of these books are for sale. Just You can leave a donation if you want. Um, basically, what do we do, you know? We live in a world that has lost all idea of truth. You know, people are so broken and confused, and they have this, this wrong idea about God, if God is there at all, and uh, how do we communicate Jesus to them? The largest growing group worldwide today is non-religious. They have no view or, under, or belief in God at all, and the result of that is devastating. So, uh, anyway, oh, and we also have a podcast, uh, Provoke and Inspire, if you want to put that slide up. If you want to, it, we, it's a weekly podcast. We have some pretty uh, big influencers that are uh, that come on our, um, like, like Brian Head Welsh from Corn is a regular contributor. Uh, we had a guy, Holy Cabana. He's a big rap artist in uh, in the U.S. Uh, and we just talk about how do you how do you follow Jesus in in the culture we live in today. So I really encourage you to check out that podcast. I think it'll be an encouragement for you. So, Lord, I'm so grateful that I can be here at this church. It really is humbling, Lord. Thank you. Amen. So, I, since I left you, there's so much to talk about, but these last couple of years have been really, really a challenge, haven't they? I mean, we have this pandemic. I didn't know what a pandemic was. You know, and the whole world shuts down in a week. I mean, I was in Australia when it started in Sydney. I got a call from my son, Ben, and he said, get back to New Zealand. They're going to close the borders. So I got on one of the last planes back to, to New Zealand. But then Jody and I, my wife, we thought, well, we can't stay here because we have teams all over the world, and we can't tell them to be bold and courageous 
and if we stay here. So we were one of the few people leaving New Zealand during the pandemic. We were at the airport, at Auckland Airport, and there was like four planes. It was like a zombie apocalypse. And like no, we were going to LA when it was like a red hot zone, and no one knew. There was no, you know, no one knew if we were all going to die. But we thought, well, if we're going to die, at least we're we're not going to. We have to die with our people. So we left, and we kept traveling this whole time. We have not stopped. We've had lots of. My nose is bigger from all the uh, things shoved up my nose, and uh, my part of my brain matter is gone. Um, so then. So then we finally get through this pandemic, yes! But then the war in Ukraine started. And this is this, the reason I'm talking about this, because the war in Ukraine is not just uh, a war. You know, there's a lot, always been wars going on, but this is a personal for us because a lot of our people are from Ukraine. A lot of our leaders, a lot of our teams. And uh, so this was the first time I've ever had a, been involved in a war that's been a personal thing. And... We didn't know what to do, so we opened up our, when the war started, we opened up our, our center in Germany to receive all the girls and, and that were escaping the war and mothers with their young babies, and I had no reference for this. You know, I didn't know what to do. You know, like you have a tragedy, like the cyclone that we've had here in New Zealand and people losing their homes and some people die and all of that, right? You have that, but then you, you respond to it and you... You ask God how to deal with it, but a war is not like that. A war is a continual thing. It doesn't stop. And so I had no reference for this. And I didn't, so we were receiving these girls, and I didn't know what to do. You know, we have this, like, uh, by our center in Germany, we have this, it's like a, a dairy. And I, do, I wouldn't know what to do, so I would, I would just go to the dairy, and I'd buy all kinds of chocolate, and I'd come back and hand it out to the girls. I could hardly pray. It was so hard. You know, it's like, I can't, I can't, I got to understand God more. I can't stay at the same level. You know, I can't sing some of these songs because I, I need to understand. I got to know more. And so it's been a challenging, you know, it's been a challenging year. And at the same, you know, at this, so I was invited to, to speak to some soldiers in Ukraine, you know, I, and I plan on going back again there soon, but I'm, in, I'm, I'm invited to speak to these soldiers who are getting, to, getting ready to go to the front lines. You know, what do you say to men like that, who most of, a lot of them are not going to come back alive? So the commanding officer is there, the brigade stands to attention, I'm invited in to speak to them. What do I say to them? And so I was really asking God what, to, what I should say, and I felt like he, he told me I should say this. I said to them, I said to these men, no greater love does anyone have than this to, than to lay down their life for a friend. That's what Jesus said. And you are showing the greatest love that could ever be shown because you, are, you have the heart of a father who wants to protect their children, who wants to protect their families, who's willing to give their life to defend the people that they love. And I said, this is such a beautiful thing. Shows your heart that you, want, that you are willing to do this. And I said, because you have the heart of a father. And I said, well, let me tell you about another father. He's the one who created the whole world. And he, he's not indifferent 
to the suffering and the war and the disease and the pain that we feel. And so he, he gave his life. He was willing to send the most important thing that he had his son, Jesus, to give his life. And so Jesus came and he, he took all the evil on himself. All the evil inside of me, he took it on himself and he died. But because he was sent from this beautiful father who loves us, he came back to life and he defeated death. And because of that, I can know this Father, and I can know that when I'm, it's time for me to, to meet him, he'll know my name. My name will be written in his book. And I said, if you're going into battle, you, better, you don't want to go into battle without knowing God. So I said to these men, how many of you need to make things right with God, need to give your life to Jesus? And the entire brigade gave their life to Jesus. And we've seen... We've seen more than 25,000 people come to Jesus on the front lines in Ukraine. But you know what else is crazy? We're doing stuff all over Russia. We have, we have teams in 95 cities in Russia. In, you, uh, Steiger has become a Russian word. To do, people will be speak in Russia, they'll say, we're going to do, in a church, they're going to say, we're going to do Steiger tonight. What they mean by that is we're going to go out in the streets and boldly preach the gospel. It's actually become a Russian word. We're going to go and do Steiger. In, in, uh, in May, my wife Jody and I, along with our, our leaders, Russian uh, leaders, we're going to meet in Georgia, Batumi, Georgia, the country, because it's one of the few places left where Russians can go. You know, it's one of the few countries they can go to. And so we're going to be receiving a lot of these courageous, many of them in their 20s risking their lives in play. I mean, unbelievable stuff. And I could go on and on. We're seeing God move. Uh, it's, it's, we need it though, right? So Jesus heard that John the Baptist was killed. And Jesus was not just, um, he was God, but he was also human. He felt things. And even though he knew it was right that John, that he knew John was going to die, he felt bad and he wanted to be alone. But instead of being alone, there were thousands of people there where he was trying to be alone. So the entire day, he and the disciples are ministering to the people all day long. In fact, they were so busy, they didn't have time to eat. So it was the, at the end of the day. And they hadn't eaten all day. And the disciples went up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, send the people to a nearby village where they can buy food because they haven't eaten all day. Now I think the reason they said that is because they were hungry. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I think. You know, it's like, maybe we can get Jesus to send them away so we can eat, right? And then Jesus says, you feed them. <laughs> Jesus, you got it. We only have five loaves and two fish. How in the world are we going to feed all these people? Jesus said, give Give it to me. Give what you have to me. 
and then they were probably thinking, well, I guess nobody's going to eat today, right? So they give their five loaves and their two fish to Jesus. And then Jesus starts breaking it and multiplying it and multiplying it and multiplying it. Pretty soon there's so much food, they can't eat all of it. And so they've eaten as much as they can. There's food left over. But they were really tired. You know, Jesus' disciples, they were so tired. So he said, listen, you get in a boat, go on the other side of the lake. I will send the people away, and I will meet you on the other side. So the disciples got in the boat. And it was about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And there was a storm. And they were straining against the oars. And all of a sudden they looked and they saw a ghost walking on the water. And, it, and when they saw this ghost, it says they were terrified. Have you ever been terrified? I mean, it says they screamed. They were so afraid. And when I read this, I thought, why were they so terrified? These were tough men. These were fishermen. I mean, I don't know about you, but like I'll, uh, when I see like fishing boats here in New Zealand out at night in the sea, you know, it's, this, is not a, this is not something that weak men do. I knew these fishermen in Iceland where there would be, they'd be out in the crazy storms fishing in the, in the, the rain would be hitting the boat, and they'd have, to, they'd have to knock the ice off of the boat because the boat would get so heavy that it would sink if they didn't keep knocking the ice off the boat. You know, and it was even rougher back then. You know, so why were these men terrified? Well, I think the answer is this. I think they were physically and spiritually and emotionally exhausted. And so when they saw this ghost, they had no fight left in them. So they were terrified. And I know how they felt. Because I was with my band in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And uh, we were getting ready to do another concert the next day. And someone from my band was on the street. And they asked him where, what we're doing. And he said, oh, yeah, we're going to play you know, tomorrow night. And he said, where? And he said, in Madam Satan. And they said, where? He said, Madam Satan. And the guy said, you don't want to go there. If you go there, they're going to kill you. So he comes and tells me this just before I'm supposed to go to sleep. <laughs> so I can remember I was in my hotel room, and I'm looking at my face in the mirror, and I was flossing my teeth, and I was so um, uptight, you know, about it, that I did it so hard that I cut my lip. So I thought, I need to do something to calm down. I have to calm myself down. Maybe if I take a hot shower, it'll help me to, to, to relax. So I got in the shower, and I turned on the water, and the next thing I knew, I was literally leaning against the wall of the shower 
and I was crying like a baby. And I'm going, God, I can't do this. This is too much for me. I thought about my, my wife. I, th I thought about my kids. I couldn't hardly pray. I had no faith. I, kind of, I just kind of laid on my bed. And I said, God, help me. Because I was emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. But then the ghost spoke. Don't be afraid. It's me, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. There's a storm. We're out in a boat, and we see this ghost walking on the water. Of course we're going to be afraid. Why are you telling us not to be afraid? Well, I think what Jesus was saying to his disciples was this. Why do you think it's so crazy that I walk on water? Don't you know who I am? What did I just do? You're in front of thousands of people. You only had five loaves and two fish. And I took it and I multiplied it. And I fed all of these people. Why do you think it's so crazy that I walk in water? When are you going to believe in who I am? Peter wasn't convinced. He wasn't sure if that was a ghost or if it was Jesus. So he said to the ghost, if that's really you, Jesus, tell me to get out of the boat and walk to you on the water. What Peter was saying to Jesus was this. Demonstrate your power in my life. I don't want to stay in the boat. Everybody goes around in a boat. The boat is too conventional. The boat is too boring. It says in Ephesians 1.18, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to everyone who believes. But I go around in a boat like everyone else. If you're really who you say you are, I want you to demonstrate your power in my life. So Jesus looked at Peter. And he said, okay, Peter, get out of the boat. This was not the first time that we played at Madam Satan. This was going to be the second time. The first time we played there, the guy who organized for us to be there refused to go in. We get to the venue. My band was already there setting things up. And I get there, and he said this to me. He said, I don't know what you're into. I don't want to die. I'm not going in there. And I thought, well, great, thank you. You said it, you organized for us to go there, and then you don't want to go in. But I thought, I can't not go in. You know, my band's already there. So I go in. The first thing I noticed is they had a table where they're selling books on torture. And they're selling a, a book by name by 
uh, Alistair Macaulay, who calls himself the Antichrist. They had a curtain you could go behind if you wanted to have sex. And some people weren't bothering to go behind the curtain. We were playing in a dark cellar where all the walls were painted black. And you could just taste the, the evil vibes in this place, you know. And in our concert, we do a modern-day depiction of the death and resurrection of Jesus on stage. And so in this concert, I'm representing Jesus. I'm killed, and I'm put into a coffin to show how Jesus died. So I'm put in this coffin, and I'm laying in the coffin, and it was like all the demons started coming out of people. People were blaspheming and screaming and swearing. And I can remember I was laying there, and I thought to myself, this must be what hell is like. And then when I came out of the coffin to show how Jesus rose from the dead, it was okay. You know, we had a few okay conversations with people. But to be honest with you, I was happy just to get out of the club. Okay, so then we're getting ready to go on tour again in Brazil. And I got, you know, a call from our tour organizer and he says, hey, David, I've got great news for you. I said, really, what? What's that? And he said, Madam Satan wants you to come back. And I thought, no. We're not gonna, we don't need to test God. He wanted to know if we would be willing to go to a place like that and not deny him. But I said, no, we're not going to test God. We're not going back there again. And I, and I was here in New Zealand when we had this conversation. So I, I was done, you know, stopped. We were done and talking. And then I went for a walk on a beach. And I started feeling a little bit like Peter. And I was saying to God, God, are you not, are you not strong enough to move in a stupid little club like this? I stand up in churches, and I say that you are powerful. Or are you powerful or not? I don't want to just read about your power. I don't want to hear stories from other people about your power. I want to see your power in my life. I mean, if you're not powerful, why should I follow you? I don't, want to, I don't want to just have this theoretical understanding of who you are. Think of the glory you will receive if you could move in a place like this. Demonstrate your power in my life. And as I was crying out to Jesus on a beach here in New Zealand, saying this to God, I felt like Jesus looked at me just like he looked at Peter. And I felt like he looked at me and he said, okay, David, come on, get out of the boat. And so we went back. And my experience has been that when you go to a place like this, the second time it's worse. Now, I don't know if this is theologically correct or not, but it's like the demons know who you are the second time. It's like the first time they don't know who you are, and then they, I don't know if that's, 
right or not, but that's what I think. And so you, the second time you go, it can be even worse. And it was, the atmosphere was worse. And I won't give you all the descriptions of what was going on, but it was not, it was a really bad atmosphere. So again, we're there. Again, we're playing in this dark cellar. Um, again, in our show, we do this depict, modern day depiction of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Again, I'm killed on stage and put in a coffin to show how Jesus died. Again, I'm laying in the coffin. And I'm laying in the coffin. And this time, it was completely different. Instead of he hearing people blaspheming and screaming and swearing, all I could hear was people crying. Everywhere, people were weeping. Everywhere, people were crying. People were speaking to each other. There's a different spirit here tonight. And it's love. And when I came out of the coffin to show how Jesus rose from the dead, I was looking out in the club, and it looked like it was, to, it, to me, it looked like it was raining. Like, I could see, like, rain coming down. I could, I could feel it like honey washing over my body. And I said to them, you know what I'm saying is real because you can feel God's power and no one could argue with us. People rushed us for Bibles. We ran out of Bibles in Madam Satan. The club owner came up to us with his girlfriend and he was shaking. And I grabbed his hand. And I said, God loves you? He cares about you. And he says, he does? And I go, yes, God loves you. And I was able to pray with the club owner and his girlfriend. We were, the, whole, the whole place was, sh was completely shaken. And so then we thought, well, we need to have a place where people can come for a follow-up meeting. You know, they won't come to a church. So what do we do? So a guy who, who runs a male strip club said, hey, you can use my venue. <laughs> and we thought, well, that's, that's a neutral venue. <laughs> so it's, uh, this runway, you know, where the Normally, the strippers were. The, our band was playing worship music, probably at first for that place. And all these people were there. There's a guy down in his down in the uh, down in the basement, and it's his his job to organize strippers. And he's on the phone, and he said, "When I you when your band started to play, when I heard your music." And a power came into my office, and the mirror on the wall exploded. He said, "You got to see it. You got to see it." And he took me took me down to his office, and it looked looked like a bomb had gone off, broken glass everywhere. And he said, "It's not just the glass that is breaking. Something is breaking inside of me." And the whole, the whole 
underground scene in Sao Paulo who was shaken. A pastor that we work with in Brazil said he felt the, the Holy Spirit stronger in Madam Satan than he's felt him in any church. We need to get out of the boat. We need to get out of the boat. You see, when you're in the boat, you have a very human faith. It's all, it's all based on my gifts and my abilities because I'm the one that makes it happen. So then it's very important. I, I discover my gifts and, I, and, I, and my abilities because I, I'm the one that makes things happen. And then I also need to look at my resources. Okay, I have five loaves and two fish. So I have to come up with a strategic plan. I have to come up with a way to leverage my five loaves and my two fish. And with my gifts and abilities, and then I can come up with a plan to do something, right? Because that's what you do when you're in the boat. But if you dare to get out of the boat and walk on the water, the first thing you understand is this. If God takes his hand off of me for a second, I'm dead. There is no way that I have the abilities or the resources to make any difference. I am not so naive to think that I can do anything of significance. When I look at the kind of problems that we're facing today, the kind of obstacles, the kind of challenges that you're facing right here in this city, there's no way that I am so arrogant or naive to think that I can make any difference with what I have. I barely have enough food to take care of myself or to look after my own family. But I also understand this. If I'm willing <coughs> to give what I have, even though it's not enough, if I'm willing to give what I have, if I'm willing to give it all to Jesus, he can take it. He can multiply it, and he can use my life to feed the multitudes. You see, some of us have thought, isn't it great? Isn't it cool that he calls some people to get out of the boat? But he's called me to be in the boat. You know, I'm a boat Christian. But, you know, if there's some people he's called to do that kind of stuff. That's cool. But let me tell you, everyone is called to get out of the boat. Not everyone has the same, maybe we'll do this exact same kind of stuff, but everyone is called to live a radical life of faith. In Hebrews 11:6 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith, by definition, means you're in a situation where it won't work without God. And if ever the world is dying for Jesus followers who will be willing to live a, a radical life of faith, it's now. But then you're going to go, but what if I drowned? What if I get out of the boat and I start to sink? You will. You'll get out there, you'll take a few steps, and then all of a sudden you're sinking. And you're like, oh no. Then you have a choice to make. Swim back to the boat or put your hand out to Jesus. Some of us took a few steps on the water, but the first thing you did when you started to fall back down is you swam back to the boat. Yeah. 
And that was the wrong reaction. You weren't supposed to swim back to the boat. You were supposed to put your hand up and say, Jesus, help me. And you know what? If you drowned, you drowned, but at least you gave it your best. It's kind of like you got to come to a point where you go, I don't, you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to live this faith. I'm going to take, take this step. And if I, and if I drowned, well, better drown than just sitting in a stupid boat. That's what it takes. I'm not kidding. We've come to way too domesticated. But we, we, we have to get out of the boat. We have to, we have to cry, be like Peter. We can't go on like this. It's serious. It's desperate. I used to think when I was young, I had all the time in the world, but it's not true. Times are urgent, time is short, and we need to act. Jesus said there's a great harvest and few workers. And I think he would call many of us. I think he calls all of us, actually. But we have to get out of the boat.